feature presentation. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the eighth best movie podcast in Canada. Yes, that's a true thing. It's not a joke, even though I play it as a joke. Shout out to people Kate have asked. People Elevation. have asked. Uh, <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Matt, I like how you grabbed the mic there at the beginning. It's just like you were really intense. I try to do that, you know, now. Just like, I gotta, get, I gotta give this to the people. Uh, Eric, episode 129. We're, yep. we're here. We did it. We made it. How we are you? Just, you know, end it after this. Nope. Nope. Yep. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Yep. I'm good. You know, just uh, enjoying this this uh, weekend by staying indoors and uh, <laughs> reading a book and, you know. You are. You're reading yeah, a book, which is we I don't am. talk about books that often here. No, we don't. We've tried to review. This isn't which, book club, Matt. Yeah. What is this? The entitled book podcast. No one wants to listen to that. Um, kidding. People who love reading. Good for you. I'll just wait till a movie gets made out of it uh, because I rarely get through books. I just I, my my attention span, Eric, I just can't. I can barely get through an hour and a half movie now that I just, I can't. Unless it's narrated by book. Will Wheaton. Yeah. Well, that was a while ago. I, I never got through Ready Player Two. Not that I needed to anyway, but I tried. Didn't listen to Will Wheaton on that one. Or I tried to, just didn't, didn't stick with me. I read the Seth Rogen book, which was excellent, and listened to the audiobook for that too. And I've tried. I've tried. I have a bunch of books that I want to read, but you are reading Heat too. I am. I am. It was. So I uh, I got the uh, 4K copy of Heat. I mean, Heat's one of... Uh, I honestly do think that Heat's probably my favorite Michael Mann movie. Yeah. Um, so it's a long film. It's three hours. And I threw it on uh, Friday night and watched it. And it was like, hmm, I really loved rewatching that movie. Yeah, and, I really want to rewatch it. And now I want to spend more time with these characters and with Michael Mann, because it's been a while since he made a movie. The last film was black hat, uh, which I think was 2015. Still haven't seen it. It's not great. Some um, people really like it though, right? They do. I'm, I'm still curious to kind of watch. There was a director's cut that was released on some network and it was like an exclusive thing. And then it kind of disappeared. Weird. Like it's never been released um, on Blu-ray or on streaming services. So yeah. So with it, I mean, he's he's directing a new movie right now, Ferrari. So um, right. that'll that'll be interesting next year, I guess, <clears> with <throat> with that coming out. Um, but with Heat Two, I I I bought it um, like a digital copy because I didn't want to wait for it because I was just like in the mood, and so I just started reading it, and I'm only about halfway through, but I love it. It's one of these books that like it completely grabs you in the first couple of pages and then you just cannot stop it is so dense but it's not overwhelming in any way like it, it's so kind of like character focused in sort of Pacino and De Niro's characters because the, the story is basically split into two um, kind of like the Godfather part two where like in in Heat 2 you have De Niro and Pacino's characters in 88 and then sort of the second half of the story mm -hmm. takes place in 2000 
one, 2002. And it's from mostly the point of view of Pacino and, and uh, Pacino's Hannah character. Um, and with the, with the eighties stuff, you see kind of like Hannah honing in his kind of detective craft but also kind of being this like bit of a drug addict as well which kind of never was talked about in in um the movie the, the movie which i thought was kind of interesting and sort of him kind of really honing in on not only his craft but just kind of being addicted to the lifestyle of that adrenaline rush of you have to kind of like find that little thing that kind of leads you on a on a trail to kind of you know bust the criminal and how a lot of it is paperwork and procedural <coughs> but then at the same time it kind of just completely in, engulfs i meant to um, mute myself and then i just coughed right into the microphone <laughs> sorry hey man man it's this, I hit, this is I our hit regular the, show it's all i good. hit the hand raise button instead of the mute sorry eric no that's no, okay uh and then with with de niro i mean spoiler alert uh De Niro's uh, Neil dies at the end of Heat. So the first half of it taking place in 88 is kind of him doing a score in Mexico and kind of assembling the team that you'll come to see in Heat. And then with the book, you're kind of also following um, Val Kilmer's character, Chris, and sort of his relationship with Charlene. And then on top of all of that, there's this kind of like really disturbing villain that um, is kind of looming in the shadows that kind of is coming back in like the 2000 stuff. Um, I don't know how Michael Mann and Megan Gardner's book could be adapted into a feature. Almost impossible, right? (laughs) Yeah, because, well, because Michael Mann was talking on the Empire um, podcast or or, or the the website, and he was saying that he is going to adapt Heat 2 into a film. And I mean, part of the problem is, you know, the age thing, obviously, but also you know, the story taking place in those two sections is like, do you recast everybody? And I guess you would have to, I wouldn't want to go to the, the de-aging thing. (laughs) No, no. Cause well, I mean, it would be mostly just Pacino and, and Kilmer in, in, in that case. And, and Ashley Judd as well, because Charlene plays a really important role. But, um, then like you look at it as well. It's like, well, I mean, if you change the timeline, in the in the 2000s part of it and moved it up to today you could bring pacino back although at that point pacino would be i mean pacino now is in his 80s yeah so it's kind of like what do you do with that so like that's going to be interesting to be like so it's going to be heat too but at the same time do you like you know do you re- like because pacino was like oh i'll get timothy chalamet to play you know a version of hannah um so like how does that work out where you know, like, do you just kind of ignore the continuity of before or, or not? So, <laughs> yeah, I think you probably just go the recasting route and hope everyone's fine with that because you understand it's a movie and like that happens. <laughs> like, yeah, y- you hope that's the route that they take. And maybe you do bring back some of the actors for the like you said, you could maybe change the time period so you don't have to de-age them 20 years because you said it's early 2000s, the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like after, so mm. after like it, it, there's some stuff in there where it kind of feels like it's it's building up more to the 2000s in the last kind of half of the book. Yeah. But you have Pacino's character kind of 
picking up where the 95 mm. movie kind of left off in the early 2000s and see where he is now and kind of remembering Neil and stuff like that. And then like, again, like this other villain that kind of is kind of around, but he's almost like the Blofeld of this. Um, Interesting. Where like, he's, he's mm. kind of referenced a lot. He's always changing his name. Um, so he's never caught and he's also just a very disturbing character. Cool. Uh, the other thing that I was kind of surprised with, and I don't mean to sound salacious by saying this, but it is very sexual. Like the book is extremely graphic with sexual depictions. And like the movie isn't like the, the movie really wasn't about yeah. that, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like the, it's really detailed in how sexually explicit it is so it's like i wonder how they would do that for a movie because it like the way it reads on the page is nc-17 right um, well you just cut it to be yeah more, or you just don't include all but that. i was just surprised because michael mann when you think of michael mann movies his films you know they they have a kind of sex appeal but they're not necessarily about those kind of very intimate relationships kind of depicted on screen like to erotic thriller confirmed that's kind of what it feels like (laughs) at times so and i don't mean that in like a trashy kind of way or or like a b movie kind of way but i was just kind of surprised because Mm. with that there is relationships within the first heat movie but it never goes to the places that this does and that i found kind of weirdly kind of like a bit of a, a a left turn but yeah, it's give, really good. I'm, I'm gonna give Heat uh, a rewatch. I also have I have the 4K digital version, so I'll probably watch that. And then uh, been meaning to rewatch it. I think Nevis wants to watch it too. So I uh, I uh, am excited because it's been a while. But I remember when I watched Heat in my teens, I absolutely loved it, and um, it is a classic. And I'd be curious. I would read the book. Like, uh, who knows how long it'll take to make that sequel and I don't even know if it ever will be made, to be honest, but like even how you're describing it to me, unless it's something completely different, like Heat 2, the movie might be completely different than Heat 2, the book, but. Right. Well, then uh, also you have to think like the original Heat was shot on film. Michael Mann is an, was an early uh, adopter, adopter of yeah. digital and like everything he shot. I mean, like some of Collateral is shot digitally and so is Miami Vice, the the movie, but like everything after that. Public that enemies, did, I like, it was all digital and like, it looked like, awful because it did it, it did yeah. i mean contemporary stuff it works yes but but period stuff it doesn't so i would like, love if he shot it both on digital and film right like shoot the yeah. 80s stuff in on film shoot the 2000s stuff on digital and i think that could be a cool juxtaposition if you end up doing it like yeah. i think that could be fun but well that's why um, i'm worried about ferrari as well because ferrari is a period piece and it shot i think it uh, Eric uh, Messerschmidt is shooting it digitally. Yeah, which doesn't surprise me. But uh, I'm you've you've intrigued me, and I, I will try to watch Heat. We're very busy for the next month or so, but maybe yeah. I'll throw it on at some. But point. it is worthwhile if 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 you're a fan of Michael mm-hmm. Mann, if you're a fan um, of Heat, and like it, it doesn't feel like a cash grab or anything like that. Like it feels like something that like. Man took so long to develop heat. Like it even started as like a TV movie with LA takedown. And then that was kind of like the rough version of what heat became. And I remember even like William Peterson talking about 
Michael Mann kind of pitching him on heat when they were doing Manhunter together. Um, so he's kind of had those characters in his head for such a long time that like him releasing this book, even if it doesn't become a film, it adds so much more to the movie, the world and the characters. <laughs> and like you, like when you're reading it, you see Pacino and De Niro, yeah. you know, in the scenes and like it, it, it has so much, like it plays on your imagination, but expands on, uh, the the world that he's created and yeah I just kind of miss Michael Mann because like he yeah. hasn't directed a movie in a while and like it's like that perfect fix nice man um you and I went to a TIFF press conference so it's TIFF season baby I know we've been doing TIFF talks you guys can check out our standalone episode that we did uh two episodes ago um, wasn't a numbered episode or anything, but you can check that out on the Untitled Movie Podcast feed or on YouTube where we broke down the galas and special presentations. We've also been doing little mini TIFF talks uh, in each episode. So uh, we're doing another TIFF talk here. We actually went to an in-person uh, event where they did uh, the announcement of the Canadian uh, slate of films that will be playing the festival. So TIFF every year you know, in the before times or the regular times would do this event uh, where, you know, it was a celebration of Canadian film and it being a Canadian film festival. So, you know, a lot of the press in the area go down and it's more so of like a, you know, kickoff for the festival, almost like an unofficial kickoff for press rather than like a huge announcement because a lot of the Canadian films were already announced. There were a few kind of things that they announced at this conference as well as some shorts and stuff like that. Matthew Rankin has a short playing the festival municipal relaxation module <laughs> and it looks just from the screenshot we saw it looks very funny um and yeah you know it was a fun event like uh eric and i went down we met up with our old friend adriana floridia who used to do the podcast with she's now at cineplex um so we hung out with her kind of had some you know food and talked to some pr people and just kind of hung out and then watched this uh press conference where they announced these films as well as had some government officials come up and talk about that they're giving tiff uh you know 10 million dollars to kind of bounce back from the pandemic as well as the canadian film board right canadian yeah film yeah board? it was it was mostly um, housekeeping stuff yeah. right where it's like okay we're giving you guys grants and tax write-offs you know to help because we realize that this is a, a you know a, a big sort of draw internationally speaking each and every year and this is the first year we've talked about this already before where it's now all in person again and so we're getting you know back into kind of what tiff was before the pandemic mm -hmm. and hopefully you know like you know cutting things off like like the king street thing right yeah like that's always kind of festival been, street yeah. festival street for that first weekend has always kind of been a popular kind of thing and it all happening kind of pretty much in that one sort of small pocket this year, I think is also um, interesting. Yeah. It's something we haven't really talked about that much, but they've kind of tweaked it and they've slowly been moving the festival towards that festival street for years. Right. Cause it used to be way more spread out. Like we used to go to varsity for screenings and, there used to be stuff at hot dogs on, on Boer oh street. Um, there was, I remember like, there, you, you would schedule stuff. It's like, Oh, I don't want to go all the way. Out Isabel stuff. Bader up in like the university. Right. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> so this year, you know, and then there was the Ryerson theater, former, former Ryerson theater, as well as, um, 
the Elgin in the Winter Garden on on Young Street, Young and Queen. And um, so now they've kind of, you know, we are back to a quote unquote normal festival, but everything is on that one strip of King Street, basically. The furthest north you have to go now is Scotiabank on Richmond. And like everything else is right on on King, which I think is very smart for the festival. You have the hub at Tiff Bell Lightbox, and then you have Scotiabank, which is kind of your press hub, as well as some public screenings over there too. And then you have Princes of Wales. Uh, now we have the, uh, oh God, what is the new theater? Queen Alexander, right? Or Alexandra yes. yeah. uh, Theater, as well as Roy Thompson Hall, all on that street as your big premier venues right with thousands of seats and stuff like that so um and i think we still have jackman hall at the ago for wavelengths and things like that so maybe that's the furthest uh, north you have to go for for that um but it's everything on king street now which i think is uh you know festival streets coming back this big investment in tiff like it's just good to see the festival kind of bounce back after some hard times and it'll be kind of exciting to see it, you know, uh, play out fully in person again this year with some digital screenings. Yeah. It was also great to see one of the politicians called Cameron Bailey cam. Yeah. I called him cam quite a bit. Yeah. Which was really um, weird. <laughs> I, yeah. Maybe they, I don't know. Maybe they're on a cam to cam basis. I don't know, but I don't know if his name was cam. I don't even remember what his name was, but um, it was like the minister of public safety or something, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. So of young and Eglinton or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. But anyways, had a good time. Not much to talk about. You guys can check out. Like we've talked about most of the films that, uh, were announced already. It's just, uh, there's the whole Canadian slate, um, you know, looking good. So I'm excited. Yeah. I, I liked what, um, Clement Virgo had to say though. Yeah. Like, I sorry. Think that, I forgot like, he was at the event as well. I think like out of all the people that were there, he felt the most genuine and, and it wasn't necessarily like a written script yeah. that he had kind of prepared. And one moment that kind of stuck out to me because he has his film brother, um, uh, playing the festival is that, he talked about, you know, for the first time filmmakers and, and people that are still kind of making their way up to really enjoy the moment and see the other films, because a lot of the people you'll, you know, be seeing or, or you know, a lot of the films that are at the festival um, will be your contemporaries. So it's good to know, like, who's making what and what kind of films are being kind of put out there, but also just knowing the people that you'll probably be, you know, collaborating with, but also seeing their films down the line as well. So you're growing up with mm -hmm. these filmmakers in this kind of new wave of Canadian films. Like that seemed to be kind of an emphasis of the, the Canadian press conference is that, you know, this is kind of the beginning of a new generation mm -hmm. of filmmakers coming in. Absolutely. Um, I thought he, uh, like you said, it didn't feel like it was this planned thing. It felt like off the cuff and really passionate and, and honest and seemed like he really cares about the festival, which we all do, which is why we go to a, an event like this. And, you know, even though there wasn't much necessarily to cover, it was just like, you know, I'm excited about TIFF. I'm excited about these films and I'm excited to talk about them on this show. And you guys know anyone who's listening or, or watching that, like, this is our busy time from, probably starting next week um up until september 18th we're going to be you know balls to the wall 
reviewing stuff constantly trying to review as much as possible so it's gonna be uh this is gonna be fun man it's uh it's basically here <laughs> like yeah i know we have fan expo before that we have a few you know it is pretty quiet when it comes to like reviews and things like that this month but you guys can check out our reviews for uh i am groot and she hulk um which she hulk should be out soon not as you're if you're listening to this right on monday but should be pretty soon um proof before the premiere um for the first four episodes but um i'm excited for tiff man can't wait can't wait till that schedule comes out and get to kind of go through tiffer and stuff like that and that's where uh, the fun comes in right yeah uh yeah it, it, it's interesting because like again there's not a lot in august in terms of big releases it kind of has already happened with bullet train and um you know, like there's a couple small things like we'll cover, you know, 3000 years of longing, which is coming out at the end of, of August. But um, yeah, it, it, even though we don't have anything on that front, we are pretty busy and <laughs> covering fan expo is just like, man, we, we just like to uh, create uh, obstacles to, to, ah, to jump through. So I think it'll be fun. It's oh, it will be. It's like. just it's overwhelming when you're when you're kind of looking at everything that's coming but once you kind of just get into it it's not that big of a deal like it mm-hmm. kind of just becomes like oh you know like this is what we're doing you know you're actually enjoying yourself and yeah we'll have a review for cobra kai five five right season four. five yeah yeah five um which will be at the beginning of september as well um yeah and fan expo we'll have an episode dedicated to that probably it might be a fan expo and TIFF preview show. That will be like the two big things on that episode. Um, or we might do individual one-off things depending on if there's a ton movie wise to cover TV or it might just be like an overall, like how we felt about the show and things like that. So, um, but yeah, I'm so pumped for TIFF, man. It's, it's getting close. So yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Eric, I, also went out last night with my wife on a date night. So Ooh. we went on a date last night. We went out for dinner, had a wonderful dinner at La Palma in Toronto. I had some, uh, uh, we started off with some tuna, um, some like marinated tuna that was delicious. Um, then we had a hundred layer lasagna, which was excellent. Was it a hundred um, layers though? I think so. I don't know. I trusted them. Um, but then we had some cocktails at dinner. What else did we get for dinner? We had a nice steak and some potatoes and some broccolini. Um, got stuffed off that. Got a little buzz off some cocktails. Went to another cocktail bar. Had a few more cocktails. Nevis had a very disgusting birthday cake vodka soda. <laughs> like, and then the, the waiter comes out and he's like, is it your birthday? And we're like, no. And he's like, it's like, okay. And then he's like, this is, he's like, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> and gives it to us. And we're like, we started laughing and we're like, we kind of had to try it. It sounded wild. And he's like, sure. He's like, it's really bad. <laughs> and then we're like, okay. And then uh, we tried it. He was right. It was terrible. It was awful. It was sickly sweet. It smelled of birthday cake, which, you know, I just had to try it and um, it was not very good. But then we were sitting there and we're like, you know what? Let's go to a movie. I'm like, we haven't gone to the movies in a little while. Walked over to Varsity from Dundas and uh, Bathurst almost. Um, so went for a nice walk through the university and then got to Varsity and saw a 9.55 show of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. 
So a movie we did not review. Bodies, bodies, bodies. I wish I heard that song. Um, but a movie we didn't officially review because I had to miss the well, speak screening. Speak for yourself. Uh, I reviewed we, it. We yes. as a pair. We did the royal we. It. The royal we. You reviewed it. People can go yeah. check out your review on Rogers. Um, yep. But we haven't talked about it really because um, we didn't review it. So uh, I thought it was very okay. <laughs> I kind of feel indifferent about it, you which mean is kind of mediocre. How, yeah. Um, I kind of just, you know, I laughed. I thought it was clever at times. Um, I didn't not like it, but I also didn't like it. So like, I'm very like right in the middle of like, it's watchable. Like, I'm not mad that I went to go see it, but I also don't really have strong feelings one way or another. Like, I just felt like it played out exactly how I expected it to play out. I found it very predictable. I found it very surface level with what it was kind of trying to deconstruct and poke fun at. Um, And just very obvious. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, throughout the whole thing, I knew exactly what it was doing. I knew exactly who it was kind of tearing apart. And I knew exactly where it was going (laughs) to the point of, like, the second death, I went, oh, okay. I kind of think I know what this is doing or what it's leading to. And ultimately, I was exactly right. And not that it's like if you outsmart a movie that that makes it less enjoyable because I feel like it's about the journey, not the destination, as long as it executes what that final twist or whatever is. even That if I, final destination? Uh, yeah. Even if I ultimately get there very early, like if it executes that well, then I don't care that I outsmarted the movie. Like it's not supposed to be this puzzle box that I'm like, I'm smarter than you. So be smarter than I would enjoy it more. It was just like how it got there, played it very straight, uh, you know, again, taking Gen Zers and, 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 and kind of just a different, we talked about how comparing it to scream and how it, you know, the meta comedy and, and, and stuff like that, where I just felt like this movie, I'm like, okay, I get what you're doing, but it's fine. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I, I think like our, our reviews are pretty much in sync that it's, it's, it's a passive aggressive response to a film that is trying to be, you know, a generation's sort of um, calling card, you know, a horror film that defines sort of what it means to be a Gen Zer, but also, you know, exposing kind of the worst side of a generation to the point of being condescending because like, I wonder how many of the, you know, the writers and the directors, if there are, the, if they are a part of that group or if they're millennials or older, um, the characters are horrible. Like they're vapid yeah. sort of completely self-absorbed. Like... Yeah. But, but, and, and I, and I like the idea of, you know, them kind of getting their, you know, their, their comeuppance, but sure. at the same time, it's like, you have to have a, a, a reason or a purpose for them to be so awful and, and a, and a reason for them to kind of, you know, act the way they do throughout this entire film. And there's really no reason with the exception of them just doing tons of cocaine and drinking and all being enablers in one way or another, Um, you know, and, and when you're watching this thing, you're thinking to yourself, um, this isn't fun. 
to watch in any way. Mm. It's not as clever as it thinks no, it is. That's exactly how I was going to describe um, it. <laughs> it's it's a movie that kind of feels weirdly uninspired. Yeah. Uh, for for a film that is claiming that it is doing something new within the genre, it's actually just borrowing from slasher films in general there is so much padding in this movie like there Mm -hmm. are you know scenes that are just literally people walking in dark hallways for what feels like two to three minutes at a time as you're waiting for a jump scare and you know it's one thing to criticize a Friday the 13th or a Halloween for doing that, but for critics, it's not trying not... to be any more than no, no, no. The, the reason why slasher movies had those elongated scenes is because they wanted to make sure that they were long enough to be considered features. You know, this, the way that it's playing with that kind of feels like, is it making this weird commentary on the genre or is it just kind of uninspired? And like the geography of this, palatial estate pete davidson's david character you know during this hurricane party isn't well utilized and i felt like at least they could have done more with the location like it kind of felt like they were kind of trying to imply that maybe there was something kind of like keeping them there and like they couldn't escape in the same way that like um, Bunuel's, you know, the exterminating angel kind of plays up the idea of like a rich group of people stuck in this one room and they can't escape. And it reminded me where it's really less... just a hurricane in this. In yeah. This it thing. reminded me less of scream or Halloween mm. or a nightmare on Elm street and it reminded me more of I still what I still know what you did last summer, where you also have a group of people that are being picked off one by one um, that are trapped during a hurricane. And Jennifer Love Hewitt's character is kind of um, an outlier there. And it, and and even though you know you have characters that haven't talked to each other in, in a little while, um, which is kind of the difference here. Jennifer Love Hewitt's character is kind of like you know, she's hiding the fact that she's gone through this past trauma and reliving it again. And like, it just kind of felt like it was closer to that. And there's a couple other movies like um, uh, Tucker and Dale versus evil and April's fool's day, where those movies kind of feel closer to bodies, bodies, bodies. And like a 24 marketed this film as the next scream. I already feel that they already have that film with Midsommar, which Midsommar to me is that movie that kind of feels like it's changing the game and how it plays with subtext, but also how genre is presented in certain style. Um, and just again, like, like that movie to me, feels more in line with the idea of, you know, a group of horrible people that you don't like getting, you know, destroyed horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also is weirdly comical. Um, and it's kind of caught on over the years. Like it, it feels like, like Midsummer has kind of like infiltrated the pop culture in a way that like yeah. people, when they reference like Swedish stuff, they talk about Midsommar mm-hmm. where you have to earn that over time. You can't just declare yourself the next, you know, movie like scream didn't do that when it came out, it no. just came out and kind of became that thing. And bodies, bodies, bodies is like, we are this. And it's like, you're a kind of you? the mill slasher yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, and even then it's, I don't even yeah. think it, I don't know, even the slasher element. Like, I feel like they kind of, 
I like the idea, and we got that you know from werewolves within recently and that like well it's mafia of, right like yeah like, mafia werewolf it's like a classic it's will game smith's and I like, favorite game the slap happy yeah. game i uh i love that idea because like that game is really fun like the secret killer kind of game thing and and putting that into a movie and and uh preying on people's kind of uh, paranoia of that and, and and making that a real life thing I think is kind of interesting and in, in diving into people's worst tendencies especially this generation and things like that and like um, yeah, I don't know I just I, I did find it kind of one note and surface level and just like you have to kind of it just wasn't even engaging or like fun to watch like I there were times where I'd laugh or I'd kind of you know the things that they were kind of poking fun at or or ripping on like I'm like okay that is that is funny, but overall it's just, yeah, it just kind of, I was very just kind of stone faced the whole thing. And I was like, huh, that's it. Huh? I'm like, all right, <laughs> cool. It's like, it's not a bad movie or anything. Like, I think it's totally fine. It's not like super obnoxious, like assassination nation, which I think it's is, not a Sam Levinson like, movie. Yeah. Which, like it's God. not, yeah. Like it's not, you know what Sam Levinson was trying to do with like this generation and stuff like that and really dive into that with assassination nation and even on euphoria. Um, I feel like this movie isn't that obnoxious, even though all the characters are unlikable and, and you know, are, are different elements of the worst things about Gen Z and <laughs> like, you know, and I like having, you know, uh, um, all being spoiled brats. As yeah, well. exactly. Like and having rich. Lee pace in there as like, you know, the older person with this group of young people, I think is interesting too, because you're going to have that mix in your audience. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's fine. I don't think that there's anything necessarily like awful about it. It's just like, I don't know. I don't really have strong feelings either way. And, yeah. It's uh, underwhelming overall. And it yeah. just kind of feels like it's trying too hard to kind I, of be something yeah. more than what it is. And, and I think like even, even the casting, like Pete Davidson kind of, you know, maybe being stunt casting, but like the cast kind of feels overqualified for Agreed. this material, maybe with the exception of the monologues. But again, like you look at a lot of slasher films, like it's usually up and coming actors or people that have like, only done maybe one thing or nothing and like it's 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 always new people and like this cast is is good like it's a it's a good group of actors and they give more than what's needed but it just kind of feels like you probably could have gotten the same out of like you know actors who just graduated from some acting school or first timers and um it would have worked maybe better it might have been more modest in terms of its expectations but like with the cast with the promotion it just feels like it's kind of setting itself up to be something more than what it is. And, you know, like there's been no slasher flick or no horror movie in that way that have, re that's really done that. It's, you know, like a slasher film doesn't come out. It's like, this is the definitive slasher movie that, you know, is going to define an entire generation. And if you don't agree with us, like, fuck you. And it's just, <laughs> you're just watching this thing. You're like, it's fine. Yeah, it'd be it'd be perfectly suited for Shutter. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Like I felt like I was watching a Shutter movie. Like if this if this had not been made by A24 and played the festival circuit without a distributor, Shutter would have picked this up. Yeah, which isn't necessarily an insult. No, it's no, no, like... no. But but it's not. It's it's just it's fine. 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. All the archetypes that they try to kind of, you know, deconstruct and, and, and satirize, I think, you know, I, I get it. I, those are the things that, you know, we would poke fun at or, or look at from that generation and stuff too. And they're, or what has meaning and yeah, what doesn't. Right? Yeah, exactly. Oversensitivity, just overanalyzing the digital age, like all this kind of stuff is what they get into. And, um, I don't know. Like, it, yeah, I got it. And I was like, all right, cool. Anyways, that's all I have to say about bodies, bodies, bodies. It's not really worth going to see in my opinion I, I i think it's a fine streaming movie to your point like if it was on a shutter or when it eventually drops on some streaming service like amazon or Netflix yeah i don't or something. i don't think or apple i don't know what the a24 deal is like with where their movies end up but um in hell it's <laughs> totally you know uh, yeah if you want to throw it on a streaming service i i get it but i didn't i didn't love it it was all right yeah, um, I mean, with Scream Five coming out this year, it felt like okay, like like that movie had more enthusiasm in the filmmaking and in the performances, and and didn't take itself too seriously, even though it's part of this legacy. So it's yeah. like you know, in a year where the fifth movie in a franchise comes out and is actually kind of weirdly more um, elevated and excited to be back, and this is like trying to be something new and kind of redefine the genre. It's like the fifth film in a franchise beat this thing, you know? Yeah. Yep. I agree. Uh, what else have you been watching, man? Anything? Uh, let me look at the old letterbox. I've got some reviews on Rogers for things like fall and, um, Emily, the criminal, which Aubrey Plaza is excellent in that film. It's kind of Michael Mann adjacent as well. Like, it yeah, you were feels mentioning like uh, a little bit like, uh, thief and even, uh, William Freakins to live and die in LA. Um, I, let me see here. Oh, <laughs> the other movie I watched, uh, last week after we recorded was Toby Hooper's, um, Crocodile, which is a film I had not seen since the Keep early talking, 2000s. I rented on uh, video back in the day and I forgot that it was Toby Hooper that directed it. And essentially it's just kind of like your classic creature feature, movie a bunch of you know talking about slasher sort of uh tropes it's a bunch of kind of obnoxious teens hanging out on spring break getting picked off by a giant uh crocodile one by one the effects are terrible there's a couple interesting references to um hooper's previous films eaten alive and texas chainsaw massacre but overall the movie uh is just kind of a curiosity i guess for those who are interested in hooper's entire career but like it just is one of those films where you can tell at that point where he was he was just you know it was a job for him and it was nothing else other than a job which you know nothing wrong with that but it's 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 an early 2000s b movie uh that is just so bad it's, did you have it, the alligator lounge on your um or on your mind is that what you were? no i i just came across it because i remember having rented it back in the day because i was a horny teen oh. you know, wanting to see you now know, you're nudity. a horny man <laughs> yeah now i'm a horny old man um no i was just i was more curious because it, i didn't realize toby hooper had directed it and mm. i was kind of like oh i i really hadn't watched anything of toby hooper's from you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. And so rewatching that 
now knowing it was a Toby Hooper movie, I was kind of like, oh, is there anything like of interest here that like he brings style wise? And and again, there's like a reference to a chainsaw when the characters are held up in a um, kind of a drugstore for a scene. And then there's also this weird kind of mythology of this old abandoned hotel that kind of feels like it is but isn't uh the same hotel that was in eaten alive where one of the characters owns a pet gator um and that was heavily like when that movie was released eaten alive after um texas chainsaw massacre that was kind of heavily promoted as uh, a creature feature but it really wasn't it was kind of about it like a kind of a norman bates serial killer type but the posters all had like the uh the gator on the front so they were kind of like oh this is a, like a jaws kind of movie so this mm-hmm. kind of feels almost like it's like yeah you want this movie from me i'm gonna make it now because this is all i can get work wise yeah um but yeah I, I, it's it's not good but if you're curious just to see where he was at that point in his career i guess watch it but sure. it's terrible it was directed to vhs uh, direct to video yeah. yeah the uh the sequel uh crocodile 2 stars martin cove which ah. I'm very curious to maybe watch that because I have not seen that one. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, I've been watching a shit ton of Dragon Ball. I uh, cannot stop. I I think the last time we checked in, I was just like at the beginning of last time on Dragon Ball. Matt was at the beginning <laughs> on the next exciting episode of Dragon Ball. I have the theme song stuck in my head, the exits, the outro song stuck in my head. Um, I'm on. I think episode 141 of, of Dragon Ball, um, which is crazy, absolutely yeah. crazy. Uh, you got to think like it, each episode is 23 minutes, but two minutes is the intro. Two minutes is the credits. And another two minutes is the last time on Dragon Ball. <laughs> like, so six minutes of that is like, just reusing old shit or the intro and the, and the credits. So you're getting like between 15 and 18 minutes of like new episode in each episode. So you actually can kind of fly through it. Um, It's just Nimbus cloud. Yeah. It's just very easy to watch. And I, I've just immensely enjoyed it. I'm on the last saga. I'm on the Piccolo junior saga um goku is now grown up so you're kind of this feels like the the prologue to dragon ball z um it really does feel like this is dragon ball z at this point but they're at the world martial arts tournament with piccolo jr and kami and uh for people who aren't you know haven't watched dragon ball you have no idea what we're talking about but like i highly suggest people go if you're interested at all or you only watch dragon ball z Or, you know, Dragon Ball, the new super superhero movie or whatever the hell it's called, is coming out uh, in North America this week, I believe. And um, it, that kind of sparked my interest, just seeing that trailer and or um, or seeing that that was coming out. I'm not necessarily trying to catch up in time for that because there's no way I can watch all of Dragon Ball Z before then. But I'm impressed that I got through Dragon Ball. But uh, I really do think that I'm I'm so excited to watch Dragon Ball Z now because like it's been a very, very long time. And watching Dragon Ball, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I never watched Dragon Ball. I thought I did. But I think the Piccolo Jr. stuff that I'm thinking of is at the beginning of Dragon Ball Z. It's not 
the Dragon Ball Piccolo stuff, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, in Dragon um, Ball Z, they just call him Piccolo. Yeah, and, yeah. And so in, I haven't got well, in to Dragon the- Ball Z. They do have scenes in Dragon Ball, like they mm-hmm. have flashbacks. Yeah, totally, and and that's where you'll get that context. But it's it's just cool to get the entire context to see Goku grow it's up. It's Mondo to see, cool to see uh, where you know Bulma and Yamcha and and Krillin and Tianshen and like seeing the origin of all their characters and their friendships and the world building it is just been so much fun and just that kind of earnestness of young goku and now as he becomes a man and just that like pureness of that character i think has been uh, a joy to watch and it's actually been more fulfilling than i even expected like in this time where everyone can be so negative online and we're living you know in a world that's filled with negativity like having a character like goku i forgot like is just so like uh, pure and earnest that i just like it's been refreshing and it's been like even an outlook on my own life going to be trying to be more positive because that character just sees everything from the most positive view even if he has to deal with like you know, beating the shit out of someone or anything like that, or the most horrible things he always, or he always wants a challenge or always wants to improve himself. Like, and I think that's been kind of the, the, the most refreshing thing about watching this. Cause I didn't expect that. I forgot, you know, I, I, again, I don't have a great memory and like, um, I remembered how much I loved Dragon Ball Z, but I don't remember a lot of it. Um, and it's been so much fun to go back and like, uh, uh, and learn this character again and see his origins. Cause I don't think I'd ever watch dragon ball and it is an underrated series. Like I feel like everyone just talks about dragon ball Z. Um, and I feel like only like super hardcore people maybe go back and watch dragon ball. But I, I do think it's worth people's time. Like it's been each saga has been enjoyable and it is a little slower pace than what I remember of dragon ball Z. Like it's like, we're getting into those big world events where Dragon Ball is a little bit more contained to like the martial arts tournament or just collecting the seven Dragon Balls and and dealing with Emperor Pilaf or, you know, and even the the tournaments themselves are so well put together and stylized like they just had it down, man. Like each tournament has a like, you know, when the tournament sagas are beginning because they have like a special intro card and things like that. And the way that they do all the you, something like Cobra Kai, you can definitely ta- see takes inspiration from anime and, and Dragon Ball because like the tournaments in in Cobra Kai and um, and the matchups and how hype it can be when characters come back and like um, uh, what's it called? Uh, General Sao or Tao um, came back recently as a cyborg and I'm like, forgot that happened too. And I'm like, <laughs> that's so cool. Like, it's just like those really silly things of like characters always coming back and like needing revenge on someone. And, and it's just so over the top, but like, it's world building is, is a lot of fun. Creases is a cyborg. Um, and yeah. I, that's all I want, man. Like that kind of stuff is like, I just want them to go someone to fucking Kamehameha someone and just go full sci-fi on. I think that's the next level of Cobra Kai, but just become Dragon Ball. Um, but I'm having a blast and you're going to join me to watch Dragon Ball Z, right? So yeah. Yeah. Cause it, so it's been a while, but I, I do have very fond memories of uh, Dragon Ball Z, like especially like, that Frieza saga um, 
in particular was kind of like which is like the first one as a right? kid like one of no the no no the first one the first one is with with napa and Vegeta. no yeah, no sure. raditz raditz yeah. is the first but it's kind of like all connected it leads so, into each other right yeah, yeah raditz but... leads into napa and vegeta and then napa and, then and vegeta in the frieza, frieza. Yeah, yeah. yeah so i'm excited to get into that because i like that's when you start to get the backstory of the saiyans and like the and and everything because you don't really get a lot of that in this show like goku's background you don't it's all mystery of why he's so powerful and why he's uh, like he, how he is. And uh, I'm just like, I don't know. The fight scenes are awesome too. It's so well choreographed and set up and like, and so much fun to watch. And they, it, that escalation where they always have to have someone stronger come in or like a, pa- a new power level and like, yep. and exclaim like, it's over 9,000. Yeah, like I love it. It's so <laughs> stupid, but like, and it really needs to kind of feed that to you, but it adds to that. Like where it's just like, I don't know how Goku's going to deal with this one. That guy's power level is this. And like always having to go to a, a higher place or, or find someone who's stronger. And like, I love that. Right. Or get beaten up and then recover. Exactly. Then. Like <laughs> I, I, but that's the thing is like, it actually makes it so engaging to watch because you always, whenever Goku thinks he's the most powerful being on the planet or in the universe, there's always someone who is stronger than him that he has to then train for to beat and become stronger. And he has that potential and he always just needs to do that. And I think that's, that's the magic of that show and especially dragon balls like everyone looking at goku being like how the hell is this little kid beat up or defeat this person and then goku finds uh mr popo and mr popo can beat the shit out of goku and then goku's like man i gotta train and this guy's even stronger than me and then you find kami and then kami being i forgot was just like piccolo split in half (laughs) like and I, i i was like totally forgot about that too where i'm just like Oh shit! Yeah, Piccolo is like the worst parts of Kami split into that, and then made just a pure evil version of this strong being. And it's like, it's just the world building and the and the storytelling is like a lot of fun. And even though it, I remember it as a kids show, I think it does have that fine line of like, I think I'm getting a different appreciation of it as an adult and. Um, even someone like Master Roshi, which we kind of poked fun at and said is problematic over the last, verb. like, yeah, it's just like that stuff is so interesting because he is a great character and he is a great mentor at times. And he is like, you know, he was a great warrior and he like some of his teachings to Goku and Krillin and, and his and his students are excellent and like and he really cares about these kids and these people and and really wants them to be the best versions of themselves but then he's a sex pervert in the next scene and you're like you're like you're like dude you're you're hurting yourself here and especially with the writing of the character i know it's like supposed to be comedic relief but using that stuff as comedic relief feels very dated um and not cool like especially like when you think about how young men were brought up during like our you know, time period of growing up and you see things like this of master Roshi, like groping a a woman without her permission. And you're just like, fuck man, like this show would be great if you didn't have stuff like that played for laughs. And like, and then it kind of shows young men as they're watching this, that that might be something that's okay to do or, or can be played off as like, Oh, you old pervert. Like, and you know, Bulma does get mad or, or, you know, the other women in the show do get mad, but it's like, I don't know. Like, why is that in here? And I get that different time, you know, things like that. But, um, 
Master Roshi is a good character if you remove all that kind of stuff. So it's complicated and, and kind of shitty, but um, I'm still enjoying it like thoroughly. And I know Master Roshi becomes like, uh, you know, just kind of a side character in Dragon Ball Z, I think. Right. Yeah. But yeah. still pervy, <laughs> still pervy. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I like that Goku's grown up. It was very jarring because I've spent so many hours with young Goku and young Krillin. And then it kind of just skips those three years after Goku goes to train with Kami and, and Mr. Popo. And like uh, it, they start his training and then they just skip the three years to the next tournament. And they already did a three year jump earlier when no one really aged that much. So it's like the rehearsal. Um, yeah. It, it, Nevis brought that up. She's like, it, it is like the rehearsal, which we'll get to next. But um, yeah, it's uh it's fantastic. And I can't, we're going to watch Dragon Ball Z Kai. If anyone listening wants to follow along with us. So we're watching those versions, which are newly edited and, and condensed to its like purest form without the filler episodes and has a different score to it and um, some redone animation and, and stuff like that too. So um, I'm pretty pumped to, uh, to check those out. So I can't wait. I have like 10 more episodes of Dragon Ball to see how that will go. to get to the good new force. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait, man. So uh, I'm excited. Um, I think that's it on Dragon Ball. We'll we'll continue ne- next week on a next exciting episode of Untitled. We'll talk about Dragon Ball Z. Um, the rehearsal, Eric. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. Um, it's so good. Um, you know, going from dragons to Nate's lizard lounge, then um, the la- latest episode in that show. There's only one more left. I, I forgot it's there, only six that's episodes. It? Yeah, it's six <sighs> episodes, and, um, which I'm kind of I'm okay with. But like I, I would I watch too, more. But at the but... same time, it's like yeah, I would like to watch a little bit more. But it is fascinating. The last two episodes because we didn't talk about the um, the, the the fielder method uh, episode where we learn about the uh, bit players and the background uh, extras and how. Um, they're vetted through this method of, of teaching, which sure. is insane. <laughs> it literally is amazing to watch the levels of it's like watching, you know, like somebody go undercover, you know, in like a cop show and like yeah. how like where where is up and where is down and kind of losing yourself in the role with this. What Nathan Fielder does in these two episodes especially with the 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 fielder method stuff and and with one of the uh the acting pupils uh thomas um is seeing thomas pop up at multiple times throughout the series now has been very very funny it's it's so (laughs) it's so cringy but it's like the voyeuristic aspects of what nathan does are are always or have always been ethically questionable this takes it to a whole new this level. Is, this is where I get into like it's such a we have what's this real and what's yeah. not because I'm like, and- was that even his apartment? Was that just a different Airbnb <laughs> that they set up or a set that they set up? And it's just magic of editing that makes it look like it's his apartment kind of thing. Like it, it's just it's genius in that way. And I keep having this conversation with other people because like my sister's friend Danielle, who's basically my sister as well, she messaged us and was like i finally watched nathan for you and i finally started the rehearsal and she's like i I was having an argument with my boyfriend about is everyone an actor and is it real or not so i went into that conversation with her of being like you know i I don't think it matters 
I, I will still go to that point, but I go back and forth on it every week of who is involved, who is not, who is an actor, who's not. And I think that's a genius. The genius of this show is it's so well constructed and there's so many layers of what people like people who are on the show know that they're participating in a rehearsal. So inherently they are acting, right? So it's just like who they bring in, who's not acting or who is not in on it versus the people who are in on it versus the layers of then uh, ripping on the people who are in on it, but then also bringing in people who aren't in on it. And then, or that, how far are they yeah. in on it? Because some people are, are in on it. To a certain on le- yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's where you can kind of get these layers of like, what's real what's not what's scripted what's not because like nathan fielder's obviously set up the entire series and it seems like he had a story or a plot he wanted to go through like and he he manipulates people and i don't didn't want to pay for therapy (laughs) yeah or doesn't i don't mean manipulate in a bad way either it's i just mean like almost i would say distort yeah just kind of feels like like he's distorting like, like What's real and what's not, I don't think really even matters anymore. It's almost the distortion of reality and what he wants to be real or how he wants things to play out. And that he has some sort of control over his life and what he's doing career-wise. And like watching these last two episodes, the most recent one kind of being this really kind of microcosm debate on theology about judaism and catholicism kind of clashing and living in the same house and like this whole thing with like mel gibson and apocalypto that was a hundred percent fed to her yeah there's no way that she just said that after that conversation i i could see it being more believable if she had said passion of the christ yeah because that to me kind of feels like okay like that is a very like pro like i mean apocalypto is too but but even when how she delivers that stuff like it it, to me was finally proved to me that she is somewhat in on it i still think she's mostly playing herself like i think a version of herself but i do angela but i do feel like they do feed her stuff or they do tell her kind of you know, not necessarily script it, but they go, Hey, be yourself. Never waver from your Christianity. No matter what Nathan says to you, no matter what people do stick to that, you know, be yourself for the most part. But like, I do feel like there are times where she knows she's part of a television show and she knows that she's part of this rehearsal, like where I feel like you can even tell where she's like, I just want you to get the best show you want. And like, if they feed her something, I feel like she would I can tell just on her face whether she seems like she's smirking sometimes or like the way that that Apocalypto and Mel Gibson line and the way she's like, it's my favorite. He's my favorite director. And like how that's delivered right after what he says. I'm like, that is absolutely fake, but it's still very funny. <laughs> like, yeah, it's still very, very, very funny. And I think like even with the 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 woman, the tutor that they bring in. And how that all ends up is like, I don't think that that's scripted. I just think that's very smartly casted where they like they vetted that woman and knew her views right and knew her sort of extreme views and they cast her for that reason knowing that she would bring that up and it would be the perfect bookend to the episode right yeah like that's the manipulation i'm talking about or how to skew the conversation to what you want or how nathan himself can't even like like i mean it that the whole palestine israel thing like that is something that 
nobody can untangle. Yeah. And then, you know, when when this tutor starts saying, like, you need to use your platform at the mm-hmm. end of the episode. And it's like, it's not until the end of the episode where we get this really... And like, the music that plays complicated in the conversation. Is like, <laughs> conversation. The, the music that plays in that it smashes the credits as the conversation is still going. I'm like, this could be either way of like, it's a Nathan Fielder punchline and he found a woman who would perfectly execute that joke or it's a real woman um yeah. or it's a mix of both right like i think a lot of these people like even um people who have been on the show have come out like the uh the uh, cheap chick in the in the city uh woman like wrote on her blog being like i'm so glad so many people but all of these things i'm like it could be plants and like even i went on angela's instagram yesterday this is how deep <laughs> i've gone where like i i've gone so deep eric where i'm like she only created the instagram in March of this year. And I'm like, that's when they probably would have still been shooting the show or doing stuff. And like, even her posts feel very Nathan Fielder bits or jokes. Like there's some of her dancing, which reminds me of his YouTube video of him dancing um, to, I forget what song it was, but like there's stuff like that where I'm like, this whole thing to me could be this elaborate, like con they're using (laughs) real people and they are mostly themselves in the show, but it's almost like they found people who don't mind being, uh, versions of themselves that are a little heightened or something like that, that, um, and they didn't necessarily script them, but they guided them through this thing because these people wanted to be part of a television show or it was, you know, I think it's a mix. People that they say they're going to help, people that are actors and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's what makes the show amazing. Like the Nate's Lizard Lounge thing is hilarious. And like those are the things that I do think are real. Kind of like his dumb Starbucks thing where he's like he did get a liquor license and open this bar just for that one off joke. <laughs> like, like, And that's the stuff that's very funny. And like you can kind of tell like who's who's in on it and who's not. But it's but it is hard though too yeah. because again like it complicates it with like how much does each person know and 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 how deep is each subject or 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 person that is either being included in the rehearsal or like even even his parents like the thing that i laughed at when they were talking, you know, when they were having that picnic outside and the mom was yeah. kind of like surprised that the son, that Nathan wasn't really sticking up for himself or Judaism. But then the dad is just sitting there silent, yeah. like scoffing like food. And he's just like, like says nothing. I don't and, want like, to be part just, of this. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny because it's like, again, like even that I was like, are these Nathan's real parents? Like it has me even questioning that. Like, yeah. like it's the level of, of, I could see it being his real parents, but he's like, mom, I'm doing yeah. this comedy show. I need you to really push. Dad, can you just eat this? Yeah. <laughs> Not I, and I need you to tell me how much I should be sticking up for my religion or whatever. Cause that's the yeah. story he wants to tell in that episode. Right. Like, yeah. and that's the type of thing where I think he blends fiction and reality in such an interesting and fun way where I don't think you can tell what's real and what's not. And I don't think it matters what's real and what's not because it just makes for a really enjoyable, cringy, disturbing, funny 
like just watch right and it's just like it's so elaborate and so well thought out in that it's just uh, I, I'll, I keep repeating the same things each week but i feel like it's building on itself each week to being this you know what he ultimately wanted it to be which is like a not about himself, but kind of about himself. Yeah. Like, well, his- he's created the, his own world, you know, like he's created the world that he truly feels like he's probably most comfortable in. And like, even him rehearsing, you know, his rehearsals within the rehearsals. Yeah. There's, there's this amazing sort of rehearsal sequence with him and a fake Angela where it's just that like- smash cut to that was so jarring at that point too. And it was great. It's it's some of the best editing, I think, on like any show or film I've seen this year. And like you watch it and you think to yourself, like you like that first episode, I almost feel is like a Trojan horse kind of thing where it's like this is kind of like what each episode is going to be like. It's going to be episodic and I'm going to be the guy that, you know, is going to help this like Nathan person. for you helping a business kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, no, it's actually me trying to like get through some things and like use <laughs> HBO's budget to do it, which is incredible. I would, I would, I would love to see what those final numbers are and like how much he spended on all these sets and hiring all these actors and you know what it took to create uh, the social media accounts and all this kind yeah. of stuff and just the orchestration of it all is just incredible and it kind of feels again like he's built this world up so much that it is now real in some way but like it's still a facade and like it's just like it's amazing to watch how kind of just bizarre this whole experience Mm -hmm. is because again like it's like how much of it is real how much of it is a bit how much of it is actually somewhat kind of personal or sincere coming from him as a person and then like there's this whole kind of thing of like even like the people that are making this like the you know the camera people and the producers and the writers on this show like how deep are they in on it and i think and, like, everyone's what's the level i think a lot like even angela leaving and i know we're sort of spoiling it. it's not unless you see this show it's not spoiling anything because out of context you have no idea what we're talking about but you can skip over on the the time codes but um like even her leaving felt like it was something that they wanted for the story rather than something like even the, all the bits of her not really doing anything when he wasn't there. Like, and even like you said of him, you know, working on his own shit, I think the character of Nathan Fielder is working on shit like, and which is based on himself, but it's almost like Larry David in curb your enthusiasm, which I feel like it is a heightened version of himself. Like it is that, Larry David always talks about like it's that character of Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm is me if I had no filter and you know didn't feel like I couldn't say whatever I wanted at all times or something like that where Nathan Fielder I feel like it's him looking at himself and and so it is real in a sense of him going his either worst tendencies or the things that he's anxious about but then making them elevated and building this character that you know, is even more awkward engaging with people and things like that. And like even listening to his interview with Alexa Demi on the A24 podcast, I threw on the other night uh, because I was so into, um, into this, like you can tell it's a character he's playing, right? Like you can tell he's a smart guy that, you know, I think is 
you know, personable and things like that. Even if some of this stuff is, is how he feels on the inside, but then he lets that out in this character that he's built of Nathan Fielder. That's the same character on Nathan for you and this show, which is rooted in reality. But I think is that Larry David thing of like a heightened version of that. And then he's working on that character throughout this show and building this arc for that character of Nathan Fielder. And I think, again, it just sounds really weird when I put it out there of that meta layer of, of what the show is. And I think it's like almost a sequel to Nathan for you. Cause it's like the same character in both of those shows. I think if that makes any sense, but well, I mean, um, he's eating feces in this as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all of that stuff is great. And it's all just like, yeah, I can't, I have no idea what this last episode is going to be, but um. I could see it being that whole thing of, like you said, like this was a whole con to see if, I don't know, like him revealing that the whole thing was like the real rehearsal was, I don't know, something of us watching it and something that extremely meta layer. But I think he'll just continue the bit of it being about that character of Nathan Fielder throughout this show. So on a special episode of the rehearsal my uh my guest is david zaslav and uh <laughs> he's he wanted me to show <laughs> he wanted me to spend 95 million dollars on I, the show but in order to do that i had to pretend it was batgirl <laughs> i i would i'm with you where i would love to know how much money he spent on this show like what was the budget because i'm sure it wasn't crazy but it was crazy for him and the, yeah. the stuff that he likes to do, right? Like, and he's indirectly spending it on himself in in a way. Like yes. it kind of and just in like the most ridiculous all... ways. Like the satire is almost like, even for productions like this, he's kind of poking fun at them, right? Of being yeah. like, oh, I well, like the holiday though. stuff is amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when he's looking out the window and it's, you know, the holidays, but it's only like, it's like a weird like snow globe or the perimeter has yeah. only been covered yeah. in it. But like, again, like it kind of shows you how, ridiculous making a movie or a tv show can be especially when you're shooting um you know out of season or you're kind of pretending like be you know playing a version of yourself or playing somebody else is silly and like watching this is kind of fun and like even even that conversation sorry keep going yeah no the religious stuff like i think actually there is some interesting things being said with like no matter what you do unless you're agnostic or, or atheist, but even then like with atheism, like it can be very kind of, um, you know, my way or the highway as well. Um, it's saying something. And then like, ultimately it's like the, you know, like, like I like when he takes his fake son to the synagogue and says like, Oh, it's kind of boring. (laughs) (laughs) That line is so great. He's like, I haven't gone in a real long time because it's boring. (laughs) And like immediately cuts to them in there. And that's what religion mostly is. But religion's also kind of like it, it, to me, it's always kind of been, well, it's your opinion and, you know, you're you're welcome to that opinion and you can have that opinion, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your opinion is better than somebody else's. But there's this thought process that like, you know, your, your God or your opinion is superior to somebody else's. Yeah. And because of that, you know, you, you have the right to, you know, act in a certain way or behave in a certain well, way. Well, that's why that last punchline is so funny, right? Like, yeah. That is, is so perfect. And, um, the one last thing I wanted to bring up is even, I even love the conversation he has with the actor version of Angela that where she brings up being like, this is your project. Like, is this supposed to be silly? Are you making fun of me? And I think that's so interesting that he got ahead of that because like, 
that's the conversation that's been on Twitter and things since the show premiered. And it gets brought up in the show. And he's even bringing up why he's making the show to this actor version of Angela and like kind of deconstructing that even and getting ahead of what he probably assumed people would talk about on on social media about the show. So I think it even goes to that other level of analyzing what the show is, which I didn't expect it to go to either. It's so good. So I can't wait for that last episode. And um, I tweet, uh, you tweeted this and I messaged you uh, as well being like, I might have to put this on my like best films of the year list because it's, it's that good. Like, yeah, between this really and, and heat two for me, like I'm like, this might be like a weird abstract. Here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but what? it is, it is, it is something like, again, like, um, you know, if you haven't seen Nathan for you or you haven't watched this, give it a shot. I know that cringe comedy can be really difficult. It's going to be for everyone. Yeah. It's this like at times there are moments where I can't even look directly at the screen because it's yeah. like I don't want to see the reaction. But at the same time, you're just kind of flabbergasted by like just how far Nathan Fielder's willing to go for the bit. And it's incredible that he's able to set certain people up in a way and manipulate them in, in certain aspects. And then other ways, it's like maybe there is some truth to it. Like even the scene where the, you know, the actor Angela is is kind of really letting him have it. And then at the end of that conversation, you know, Nathan kind of almost feels like his guard is being let down a little bit. It's like, when can we do that again? But nicer this time, Mm -hmm. maybe there's (laughs) something there where it kind of like, it it really did get to him. Mm -hmm. Good shit. Go watch it. It's definitely not going to be for everyone, but um, it is well, well worth your time. Um, Any news and stuff we missed this week, Eric? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it's it's, been kind of a light month for news and stuff. I I feel like even August, I feel like it's just like the month everyone takes off because it's like right before that big festival season starts. Like it's that month people are sort of going back to school in the U.S. or prepping to go back to school in Canada. Like I just feel like August is kind of a dead zone. It is. It is the David Cronenberg dead zone. Um, yeah, there's not a lot in terms of like casting or, or movie news or what have you. Um, I'm just looking now, like, yeah, I'm kind of going through too. There hasn't really been trailers. I don't think. Right. No. Um, I mean, triangle of sadness, but I didn't watch that trailer. Just I because, did. Like, yeah. I, I didn't like that, that. That is the one time a year where I do stop watching trailers is right before stuff is playing at tiff it's kind of like i just rather watch it you know that's a good point uh, i watched it i don't think it gave away too too much because it's also out of context but um i i definitely think it looks great and i'm i'm excited to see it so uh oh i did watch better call saul as well but i'll, I'll wait until the series finale which is tomorrow whoa um <laughs> uh i forgot that that's Whoa. exciting no i i didn't think it was i'm like oh shit it's tomorrow um that's wild so i'll wait and and have that on the next episode talk about how i feel like it all wrapped up but the pentultimate episode um excellent excellent stuff excellent 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 stuff it's so good i think this series is going to end up being better than breaking bad for a lot of people i'm kind of on the fence but i like uh 
I really think Saul Goodman is literally the main character. I think I said that last time of this universe, right? And it brings so much more context and nuance to Breaking Bad and that character. And like it makes it a much more tragic story for Saul Goodman rather than being this kind of flamboyant, over the top criminal lawyer, literal criminal lawyer. But, um, and Bob Odenkirch is the best. And Ray Seahorn, too. Like she crushed it in the last episode. So, um, Really, really dug that. Um, da, 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 still killing time to see what else we can talk about. Well, speaking of Bob Odenkirk, who was uh, Nobody, uh, which was produced by David Leach, who David Leach has a film out in theaters right now called Bullet Train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to see it his, still. But... He's working on his next movie, uh, The Fall Guy, which is a remake of a TV show uh, as a film with Ryan Gosling, which just cast Emily Blunt. So... That's something, I guess. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I have been watching Harley Quinn. I think we're going to do a review of the first five episodes. Um, That'll be coming in the next week or so. I would like to get that up. So I've been really enjoying it. I've only watched the first two. Um, But I know Eric and I both really like that. So we kind of want to give you guys a review of uh, review in progress of uh harley quinn season uh, three which is airing on adult swim here in canada on saturday nights at like 11 30 or something like that um which is talking about like scheduling on, on yeah our I she-hulk know. review like it's always weird when like something good maybe doesn't necessarily kind of find an audience right away and then you have to kind of like relegate it to almost again, like a dead zone. Right. Cause it's on HBO max in the U S and it's on Fridays, but like in Canada, it's, it is a weird, I know Rick and Morty, that's their kind of time slot on Sunday nights, I think. Um, and it's coming back in a couple weeks, but I know adult swim, they don't mind just showing stuff like super late, <laughs> even if it's a premiere or something. And, and that's kind of where those, their audience kind of goes. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but we, uh, we'll talk about it more once we both, uh, watched it. What else? What else? Yeah. It's Maria kinda... Bakalova was cast in Seinfeld's pop tart movie unfrosted. No, <laughs> I forgot that was a real thing for Netflix. Yeah. Is he writing it and then starring in it? Is that what it is? Or I think he's just directing it. Jerry Seinfeld's directing the pop tart movie. Yeah. All right. Jerry, okay. what's the deal with these Pop-Tarts? Isn't it based on a joke that he used to do or something? I think Is so. Or it's it looking at like the behind the scenes. Of the creation of the Pop-Tart. Yeah. Well, Flaming Hot Cheetos. And, yeah. And, and, Is that movie still getting made? I think it's done. Is it? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it probably plays at, at like Sundance or something next year. And like opens like it streams on Hulu and Disney Plus in Canada. Because it's Eva Longoria who directed it, right? Right, right. Good stuff. <laughs> Just <laughs> pregnant pause. Yeah, I don't know. There's not really much, everyone. Like, I'm, I'm kind of going through this, and you'd be like, "Hey, Matt and Eric, why don't you prep this stuff before?" And I go, "Well, that's a, that I would go, be smart." I go, "How dare you? How dare you? Don't you want to sit us?" see just listen to us scroll through to see if there was any news this week because that's exciting. Anyways, let's wrap it. Um, I don't even know what to call this last segment. I'm just going to say the rehearsal was the last segment. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you. Call this the dead zone, the last segment. Yeah, that's true. Um, 
Oh, now I lost the time code though. Can I get it back? Ooh, I got it. Hell yeah. Let's call this the dead zone. Um, thank you all for uh, listening or watching. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Go check out our review for I am Groot. Uh, it's, we somehow stretched Jesus. that out to 18 minutes So go listen to that review. Um, as well as we'll have a review for she Hulk coming up, uh, this week, right before the premiere. So keep an eye out, uh, for that. Um, and we'll have tons of, you know, stuff over the next month or so, because we'll be covering fan expo Canada. Uh, we'll be covering a few films like 3000 years of longing, like Eric mentioned and, and Harley Quinn, we're going to do a review for, and, uh, some other things leading into the festival. And then you'll start to see some reviews trickle in, hopefully, uh, pre-festival. <laughs> trickle. Um, or I forget. It's been so long since we pre-screened stuff. Do we usually hold them until the day of the premiere or do, or do we post stuff early? I forget. I think it just depends, depends. On, on... If it premiered at another festival. Yeah, like, and what yeah. we're advised by yeah. the studio because we do yeah. follow the embargoes. Like, totally, yeah. Unlike some people. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm excited for that. So we should start screening TIFF movies soon. And then all of September 8th to the 18th, right? Yep. Uh, we... Um, We'll have, you know, tons of stuff for you guys. So eight I to the eighteenth, and we're the eighth best, most movie. popular film Canadian podcast. Whatever bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep an eye out for all of that. Um, one. This stop- is why we're the best because we don't prepare anything. <laughs> you know, what? no one, no one likes a fucking dork that prepares <laughs> prepares anything. You know, nerdlinger. <laughs> um, one stop shop, untitled underscore movies. Um on letterboxd that's where you'll find everything youtube podcast services all that jazz uh you can find more of my work around the internet mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and on season four family feud which will be premiering family feud canada sorry um which will be premiering on cbc in uh, september right during in the middle of the festival so um there's a lot going on <laughs> uh, good stuff follow me on all the social medias at matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchand. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com. So I cinema scene, Matt Rohrbeck and I uh, talked about Tiff and the Batgirl breakdown on the latest episode. So that will probably be available by the time you are listening or watching uh, this. It's basically like this, except shorter and with less swears. Uh, Is no it swears better to be prepared? Exact. No, not really. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 more truncated. So if you want a shorter version, it's there. Um, and you can find more of my social medias uh, at the at the EM six two one one. Until next time, let the bodies, bodies, bodies hit the floor. R.I.P.